I wanted to share a little today about um, when life is like the wilderness. And I know that uh, we've all been on a journey before, haven't we? We've all been somewhere. You know, today we can what? Take out your little computer in your pocket and put in the location you're headed and go. Now, some of us, I know, have trouble following that direction, you know, when it says to turn right, when it doesn't look like it's the right way to go. But anyway, uh, when, when you have a map, when you're on a journey, it's good to have, isn't it? But what's better than a map is a guide. When we have someone that leads us and says, you know, I've been on this journey before and help us find, hey, think about this when I went to Israel, I had the privilege to go to Israel, and it's literally like a tourist trap around there. I mean, charter buses are going back and forth like this because they're taking people to different locations, different locations. But one of the greatest experiences I've ever had in my entire life, it really made the Bible come alive. But I say this because, like, we were going to all these different places, and, and the guide that we had with us was a, 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 a Jewish man that lived there, and he knew Scripture, and he knew exactly where we were, and he was pointing out things of interest to us along the way that we would have just drove on by you know if we had the map oh there it is and then we would have kept going but now he stops and tells us and I say this because I want us to look at uh, something that's very familiar I'm sure to most of us maybe not all of us but the the life of the the nation of Israel as they escaped from Egypt um and, and I want us to, 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 if you have never read that story in the book of Exodus, if we don't have it on the screen, I'm going to paraphrase real quick for us. Um, kind of starting in chapter 13 and 14, we're going to kind of paraphrase, look through. But we know that this, this group of people, God said, I'm going to make my people. And these people ended up in Egypt, enslaved. We look at scripture and we can see where they were there for over 400 years. And, and, and actually, if we go back and we look and we do the research, we can see where Abraham was in modern-day Iraq. Okay, God sent him to the land of Canaan. He had some children. His children sold, uh, you know, generations later, we get Jacob uh, and his son Joseph gets sold into slavery, remember? And he now he's in Egypt and all the people uh, are, he's, he's uh, well-known in Egypt. He's like second man in charge of the Pharaoh and... Uh, there's a big famine, right? And all the people from Canaan come to Egypt for food. And then we know that after 400 years, they finally get to leave. And scholars have said that, you know, uh, maybe the Pharaoh at the time was going, you know, these people are growing rapidly. They estimated the people when they left Egypt around two, um, a million people, a couple million people, they estimate, scholars, you know, who knows. But in any case, a lot of people after 400 years. Well, they say that Pharaoh, some scholars say that Pharaoh was thinking, you know, these people are growing in number, and if we get attacked by another nation, they may turn on us and fight with our enemy. So I need to give them hard labor. I need to make them work real hard, enslave them, so if that does happen, they don't have any energy to fight. So, like I said, that's just, you know... Uh, story a scholarly story that we don't know for a fact but in any case we know that they were there we know that they were there and we know that uh god sent moses to take the people out of that place right and we know that after x number of years uh, x number of times moses went to pharaoh finally we know the passover right pharaoh's lost his one firstborn son finally pharaoh said look get your people and go right 
We, we, we're all there, right? Take your m- millions of people and y'all leave. Hundreds of thousands, we don't know how many, a bunch. Okay, and we look at the story and we see where they started out. Next thing you know, Pharaoh goes, dude, there goes all my free labor. Let's go get them. And so he starts following them. And we can see in the scripture where I, I've got a map. I've, let's put that map up. I forgot about the map. We've got a map and it kind of gets, it's a little small, but you can see that magenta line there, the, the pinkish colored line. And, and it tells us the direction they went. And you can see right here, that circle right there. They, they circled back around. I think that's funny because if we read in Scripture, it tells us that the Lord told them, hey, circle back around, and I'm going to harden Pharaoh's heart. And he's going to think y'all are just wandering aimlessly out there, and I'm going to show him today who the Lord is. And so that's what they did, and then they get to the the Red Sea, we know Moses holds his staff up. The sea is parted. They walk across on dry land. Scripture says not one Israelite was lost, but every Egyptian, all the chariots, the whole army was taken out. We know this, okay, as they cross that Red Sea. Okay, this is where I want us to pause for a moment. We leave the, leave the map up. But the journey of the children of Israel from Egypt into Canaan, the promised land, is uh, modern-day Israel, we know, can be a comparison of, for, for the stages of a spiritual growth in Christians. And that's kind of what I want to compare today. Um, for, uh, you know, God deals with us in a similar way that he dealt with the nation of Israel. And I want us to look at that comparison as we think about Egypt, as we think about the Red Sea, as we think about the wilderness, as we think about the Jordan River. Man, I got to, I was baptized in that Jordan River, by the way. Uh, I already knew Christ as Lord and Savior. I had already been baptized, and I was there, and I'm like, I got to do it. You know, and so I did. Man, that water was so cold, Andy, my knees were knocking. And I know I got little chicken legs, but man, that water was so cold. I don't know why I wanted to tell you that, but I did. Um, but anyway, think about this for just a moment as, as we, as we think of that story, um, Egypt, you know, it kind of represents our time as we compare it to ourselves as our time before we were saved, right? The Israelites were slaves. Amen. Okay. And so they were told what to do, how to act, what to say, when to do it by the Egyptians. They were enslaved. So, um, there was no freedom for them in comparison to our lives, before Christ, we were enslaved to sin. We were captured. Um, everybody say this with me. Self-centered. Self-centered. We were self-centered. Bound by sin, right? Enslaved. No way out. Okay, so as we think about the Red Sea there, the Red Sea, the Israelites crossed the Red Sea and what? They were free. Their salvation was given to them when they crossed the Red Sea. They took that faith. It says in Scripture that Moses hold up. As, uh, they were sitting there going, what are we going to do? What are we going to do? There's the water. What are we going to do? How are we going to do it? Moses said, you know, Lord, Lord. And he goes, why are you crying out to me? He held up your staff. They're going to walk through. And he said, Moses, the Scripture says that Moses held up his staff. And he says, go forward. They walked across on dry ground. They were saved by the Red Sea. Not one remained. If you look in chapter 14, verse 28, it says not one of Pharaoh's army was remaining. No chariots, no horsemen, nothing. The whole army was gone. Think about us. When we cross that Red Sea, 
we've been saved, all sin is gone. Not to be remembered. It's history. It's been washed away. It's been white as snow. No sin remembered. So, you know, as we begin our relationship with Christ and he becomes our Lord and Savior, we also become free from sin. Everybody say amen. Amen. Good. So you know what that means, literally? So be it. Nothing else needs to be said when you say amen. Okay, just wanted to tell you that too. Um, So thinking about this, the Israelites' journey across the Red Sea symbolizes salvation in this comparison that we're looking at today. And then the Bible tells us that the Israelites wandered around the wilderness for 40 years, Fidel. 40 years? I mean, look how small. I mean, it's not that big. And they wandered around for 40 years. Um, They began what? To run out of food? They, they uh, had no military. Um, it says that we know that in the book of Joshua that uh, who Joshua and Caleb were the only two left that were actually crossed the Red Sea. So we don't know how their military was, but they, 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 they probably a lot of young men in the crowd. Um, they, they, they began worshiping idols. We see when they went to Mount Sinai, you know, the Lord came down with the Ten Commandments. There they were worshiping some gold cow. Um, they grew far away from God. They grew far away from God. They were stuck in a place of unrest, bitterness, um, unhappy. Still been saved from Egypt, but unhappy. Now, I can't help to think that whenever I allowed Christ to save my life, I brought a little bit of that old self with me. They brought a little bit of Egypt with them. When they crossed that Red Sea, you know, they were free. They kept looking back at Egypt. We can look in Scripture where it says, you know, man, we had leeks over there. We had garlic. We had better food. Moses, all you have for us is old nasty manna. I mean, they started crying out and complaining to Moses. They they looked and, and, and saw all that maybe was better than the life that they were living now, giving Moses a hard time. In the same way, I think we continue and, and, and some of the same thoughts and behavior characterized, uh, that characterized us before we trusted God. I know it is for me. You know, when we're born, our entire self, it says in Scripture that we're no one, uh, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, right? So we're born into sin, enslaved, captured. So we're born into Egypt, if you will, okay? So enslaved sinners, then what? We're saved. We, we find that we cross the Red Sea, but we still find that some of Egypt is still in us. Um, and this is, this is where I want us to really touch base on. You think about being bound by something, um, a certain sin, a certain issue, a certain problem. You know, Egypt, it, it represents us, uh, it represents to us a, a time of bondage to Satan. Okay, uh, just like it was a time of bondage for the Israelites. Um, you know, after we become Christ's followers, we're no longer bound by Satan. We're just kind of wandering around, allowing him to be in our life. We, uh, we, we are still bound, we still have bondage to who? Ourselves. Remember Pastor Frank a few weeks ago talked about the, the me rah, monster that lives in all of us? Uh, we're bound by self. Look what Paul says in Romans chapter 7, 18. I have it on the screen for us. Romans chapter 7, verse 18. It says, for I know that nothing good dwells in me. That is, in my flesh. 
For the willing is present in me, but the doing of the good is not. So Paul was frustrated because he found that the things that he didn't want to do, he was doing. Have you ever been in that boat? I'll be the first to say you know, he, he was no longer uh, doing what he wanted. He didn't. He was unable to do what he wanted to do. His self was getting in the way of what Christ wanted for him. Um, I think that we must give up the things that uh, our self desires and and, and 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 fully submit to the suffering of the cross. Well, wait a minute, Mister Preston. You said suffering. I don't like to suffer. Raise your hand if you like to suffer. I didn't think so. None of us do. And so, you know, many Christians spend their entire life, I think, many Christians spend their entire life wandering in the wilderness. Saved, but just kind of wandering around, you know, uh, letting self get in the way. You know, some eventually go into the promised land. Some eventually, uh, but most spend the majority of their lives wandering in the wilderness. The time in the wilderness is a time of carnality. You know what that means? For myself. What about me? Is it, is, is it good for me? How um, good for my flesh? Does it feel good for me? I know we live in a life of feelings, don't we? Have you ever felt like someone didn't like you? Have you ever felt like uh, you were in a bad mood? I mean, it's a feeling. And feelings normally what? Follow circumstances. What circumstance are we in? And so the 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 some of the, um, the time in the wilderness is is a time of being controlled by self. You can look and see the Israelites; they were controlled by self or the flesh. But you know, until we experience the cross, until we experience the cross, we will continue to live in that wilderness. We're saved. We 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 we've we've trusted. But we're still in the wilderness. The children of Israel knew that God could perform miracles. We know that God could perform miracles, don't we? I mean, he, he parted the Red Sea. He, he saved you from your sin. That was a miracle. You know, but they, they lost faith that he could get them through to the promised land. He, he, I think that sometimes we forget that salvation is that miracle. And, and do not expect God to continue any kind of work in our lives. I believe that, oh, wait, we're, we're too old. Well, I just don't know enough about the Bible. And God can't, you know, he don't know what I am. I don't know anything. Uh, we, we expect that. That he can't even change the grace in our heart. And, 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 you know, so therefore we do not accept the abundant life that God has provided. Abundant life. Not just a little good life. He wants us to have an abundant life. Well, Preston, it doesn't seem like that that's going on right now. Um, you know, we, we, we spent a little time talking about the things in this world, you know, the things that are wrong. We spend most of our time as Christians talking about the problems in this world. We talk about what? The politics, um, the environment, lifestyle, um, so much sin going on in the world. We can look at the things going around us and just see, man, wow. What a disaster we're living in. Um, you know, we, it's almost like we're conditioned not to expect victory. We're almost conditioned to not expect victory or peace here on earth. Why? 
Why are we conditioned that way? Is a question I ask myself. You know, victory and power is for each of God's children. Each of God's children have this victory and power. But, you know, the resurrection power that we're talking about, the resurrection power comes only after the crucifixion. Okay? And so we must be willing to submit to the suffering of the cross. Mr. Preston, I don't like to suffer. I get it. Amen. Me too. You know, but before we were Christ followers, while we were still stuck in Egypt, the work of the Holy Spirit was job was to convict us of our sin. Okay, and that's what led us to salvation. You know, after we trusted Christ, the work of the Holy Spirit still continues in our life is to what? Discipline us, teach us, guide us, be our guide with the map that we have. What do the children tell me every week? It's God's word. What does it tell us? Everything we need to know. How often are we looking at it? Are we studying it? Are we submitting to it? Um, you know, after we, after we uh, realize that we, we are being disciplined by the Holy Spirit, God intends us to experience a release from the control of self. He wants us to give him the control and to enjoy Be happy, be excited, enjoy the Holy Spirit leading you, okay? I I, I believe this is what the Lord expects from us. It's interesting, it's interesting thought that the unsaved person controlled by sin is a sinner, okay? A, A Christian controlled by self is a selfer, okay? A Christian... Controlled by self is a selfer. So, I mean, we we cannot be filled or controlled by the Holy Spirit until we empty ourselves of ourself. You know, um, it's it's still, it, it has a hold on us. It captures us, our self does. And this is the only, this is only accomplished when we experience the cross. You know, Christ is Lord and Savior. Paul said, Paul said this. He says, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Okay, he said that. So the unreserved yielding to him of the Holy Spirit is, is a prerequisite of to, to our going beyond the Jordan and knowing Jesus of our very life. The Lord is revealed to us at salvation, right? He's revealed to us at salvation. But we must be, he must be, the Lord must be revealed in us. You know, at salvation, like I said, he's revealed to you. But later he needs to be revealed in us so that others can see that we've escaped this bondage. Do we suffer? Yes. But we've escaped the bondage. What, what do you think? I mean, if, if, if this is the case, you know, others cannot see him in our lives if we do not remove ourselves out of the way. So we've all heard this, that, that we must decrease and the Lord must increase. We've heard this. It's kind of like a churchanese saying that we all say. But it has to happen because nothing's going to unless we do this. Nothing that the Lord's going to use to glorify his kingdom is going to do this. So, so what do you think it meant? Is, what do you think is meant by the term experiencing the cross? Maybe for some, uh, the term symbolizes victory over sin. Maybe for some, 
uh, it is the uh, maybe the the power of the resurrection. Maybe it could be to literally experiencing experience suffering as Christ experienced through death, death on the cross. Maybe that's it for you. Um, Philippians three ten and set, ten through twelve I have on the screen. It says that I may know Him and the power. Is that word there? Power of His resurrection and the fellowship. Of his suffering being conformed to his death. Verse 11. In order that I may obtain to the resurrection from the dead. Not that I have already obtained it or have already become perfect. But I press on so that I may lay hold of that for which also I lay hold by Jesus Christ. So Paul knew in order to experience the good parts of the cross the resurrection, the victory over sin, he had to also experience the the bad parts of the cross, which are physical death, suffering, pain, guilt. Maybe uh, it's for you something else. But Scripture teaches us that it's a privilege to suffer for Christ. Does that make sense? A privilege to suffer for Christ? I mean, for the disciples to participate in the suffering of Christ, it essentially, essentially meant to, to be like him, look like him, which should be the hope of every true disciple, I, I believe. You know, James tells us in chapter 1, verses 2 through 4, um, Consider it a joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance. Perseverance must finish its work must finish its work so that, summary words, so that you may be mature and complete, lacking nothing. So what does suffering for Christ look like to us in this day and age? Illness, disability, persecution, family member in jail or on drugs, feels like no way out. Any of these situations causes sadness and hardship, doesn't it? Uh, uh, hopelessness is, is, is another thing that we see. Um, but I believe that Christ followers should know that when we are united with Christ by trusting in him, we experience the same power that raised him from the dead. Correct? So this faith that we have as a Christian means what? Winner. I'm a winner. Yeah, I know. My mom was in the nursing home for six years, and by the time she passed away, she didn't even know who I was. She just smiled at me and nod and laugh. Did that break my heart? Absolutely. But I know Christ. Winner. She knew Christ. Winner. She suffered, yes. Why? Not because of her sin, but because sin came into the world All these problems came with it. Winner when we have Christ. So there should be no fear in your suffering because he is all powerful in authority. He is almighty. The sufferings that we endure only bring us what? Closer to him. They bring us closer to him and they make us more like him. 
when we follow, when we continue to look toward him. So as we go through this suffering, we know that all is going to be okay. And this is, this is what I have to say to myself daily. It's going to be okay. Because there's a lot of things going on, and I'm thinking, wow. You know, when we realize and understand this, we begin to identify with the cross. And so the worry that comes with suffering should disappear. You, when you think about it, we, we know how things will turn out. We, we, we have that faith just, just as we know the ending of the crucifixion story. What happens at the end? He rose from the dead. It's a no-brainer. He, they went to the tomb. No está aquí. In Spanish, he's not here. He wasn't there, right, Fidel? He was gone. There is, this is our identification with the cross. Think about God's chosen people. They, they, he promised the land of Canaan to the people of Israel while they were still in Egypt. Just as he promised us a victorious life when we accept his son. Canaan was viewed by the Israelites as the goal. That's all they could think about. Let's got to get to Canaan. We got to get to the promised land. We got to make it there. It was almost like they were thinking, that's heaven. As we walk around in life going, well, you know, I've accepted Christ. I just can't wait for heaven. Christians might view heaven the same way. But there's a big difference between Canaan and heaven. You think about it, Canaan was still filled with struggles and disappointments. What was the first thing he had to do? They had to go circle around Jericho and stomp and yell and flashlight and do all kind of crazy stuff. I'm sure whenever the Lord, when Moses was telling them, some of these guys that were smart about war and smart about attack and, and, and things like that, they were sitting there going, this guy's an idiot. This is never going to work. But yet, what they do? They trusted in the Lord. They said, this is stupid, but here we go. I mean, I can't imagine what they were thinking. So probably some of the things that I'm thinking sometimes in life. Still, Canaan, their promised land, was filled with struggles and disappointment. And here's the difference between Canaan and heaven. Heaven will be perfect. There's not going to be any struggles, Fidel. There's not going to be no sadness, no disappointments. Although heaven will be victorious, there can be victory here on earth. And I believe that Christ wants us to, to empty ourselves and, and, and fill ourselves with him and, and, and share this peace and happiness that he gives us to others. That's our goal. That's how we're supposed to make disciples. We can't make disciples wandering around going, man, I could still be you know, indulging in myself and, and living how I wanted to. Now I've got to do what they want me to do, right? It just doesn't seem logical sometimes. I mean, we enter into salvation by grace through faith, right? So we enter into identification in the same manner. Our salvation in all its states is grace, what, at the beginning? Grace at the end? Grace all the way through. That's our salvation. We get grace. What is grace? But getting something. I'm sorry, did someone start to say something? Undeserved forgiveness. Undeserved forgiveness. I mean, so in contrast to happiness stands joy, doesn't it? 
In contrast to happening, happiness stands joy. And you think about it, it's running deeper and stronger. Joy is what? Quiet, confident assurance of God's love and work in our life that he will be there no matter what. That's joy. Happiness requires things to happen. I, I, I read this quote. Uh, happiness depends on happenings. Joy depends on Christ. So here's my challenge for us today. Where are you in your journey with the Lord God? In Egypt? Maybe, maybe you've never experienced salvation. Maybe you're still stuck in Egypt, enslaved by your sin. And you're, you're looking across that Red Sea and you're thinking, there's no possible way that's for me. No way. Maybe you've crossed the Red Sea and you're saved. You no longer have a threat of the enemy because Christ has sealed the deal. Your sins are taken care of. All the chariots and the horsemen and the army is gone. But you're still kind of wandering around out in the wilderness. Looking back, going, man. It's so hard to deal with the way my mom's going through life. I just go drink myself. Just wash away these tears with some booze, some drugs. Don't think that that didn't cross my mind. Absolutely. Easily. Just like that. But what? No, I said, no, Lord. I trust in you. But I did, I did think about it. I did. But here's a question that we have to ask ourselves. Have you, maybe you're not in Egypt. Maybe you've crossed the Red Sea. Maybe you're wandering in the wilderness. But have you identified with the cross and crossed the Jordan? Because I believe that's where the people of Israel finally identified themselves when they crossed the Jordan. That's their identification with Christ, with the cross. With the suffering. What about for us? Have you identified with the cross? And crossed over into the Jordan. But you know what they still had to do? When they were living in this land that was flowing with milk and honey. They still had to trust in the Lord. That he was going to make things okay. You know what it says in John chapter 10 verse 10. I put it on the screen for you in case you, in case you don't know. The thief... Satan, we've all read this hundreds of times. The thief comes only to what? Steal, kill, and destroy. Have you ever felt destroyed? I mean, have you felt like something has stole your joy as a Christian, as a follower of Christ? Something has robbed you of that joy? Sure you have. But look what it says that Christ said to them. He says, I came that they may have life and have it what? Abundantly. So, you know, as we walk through this life, we can't constantly think that heaven is the end result. That that's where our joy is going to come when we get there. And I can't wait to get there. Amen. Paul said to live as Christ but to die is gain. No brainer. But we're supposed to have joy here. Because when we have joy here in life, people can look at us and go, man, his mom's in the nursing home? 
She's got dementia. She don't even know who he is. She's been there for six years. And I only use my example because I'm familiar with it. I don't know what you're going through. And I told you I had struggles during that time too. I wanted to run off and hide from those things. Pollute myself. But God is in control. And he wants us to have life abundantly. So there's, there's the challenge. Ask yourself, where are you? What, what, have you identified with the cross? Are you finding joy in this life so you can have it abundantly? Knowing in the end, winner. And that's easy for me to think about, but not easy to do unless I stay close to him. Follow that map. Use my guide, that Holy Spirit that dwells in all believers. It says it comes. And we're not going to, like I said, we're not going to experience that power of the Holy Spirit until we experience the cross. There's no way. Let me lead us in a word of prayer. Lord, we love you. We thank you for loving us. And Lord, if there is one person that's here today that's still stuck in Egypt, enslaved by their sin, Lord, part the sea for them to come through the wilderness and, and, and identify themselves with the Jordan and, and, and know that we're in the land that you've provided. And while we're here, we might have troubles and, and, and situations that plague us and make us want to feel like we're all alone. But remind us through the Holy Spirit, Lord God, that we've experienced the power of the resurrection. And that'll help us move along. That'll help us know that we are the winners. Lord, thank you for each that's here. Glorify your kingdom through the words that we say and the actions that we do. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.